Welcome to Investment Moments with Momentum Investments, where we talk to financial experts about investments and savings to provide you with better insights for the important discussions with your clients to help them achieve their goals. I'm Neil Uber, Communications Manager for Momentum Investments, and joining me today is Paul Nixon, Head of Behavioral Finance for Momentum Investments. Welcome, Paul. Thanks very much, Neil. Good to be here again. Great. So let's get into it. Today we'll be discussing the Sci-Fi Report 2021. Now this is an annual report and the first one was published at the end of last year. It basically gives a bird's eye view of investor behavioral patterns on the Momentum Wealth platform. And the time frame is 1 October 2020 to 1 October 2021. So, Paul, I think as, as a start, maybe just what happened during that time frame? You know, COVID hit, uh, lockdowns, um, just as a background. Yeah, thanks, Neil. So, you know, the interesting thing about this, and, and it's not just in South Africa, by the way. So, so it seems that, that COVID definitely had an impact on the way people are behaving and, and definitely, you know, had an impact on the way people are engaging with their savings, or at least, at least the frequency. So, so we saw this sort of a study in Canada where, you know, one in 10 investors in Canada were, um, you know, reported to in, in 2022, they're going to ditch their financial advisors and try and sort of go it on their own. And you can see that this sort of this general trend globally is that people are saving more. So from COVID, you know, people are saving more every month. So we're not stopping at Starbucks anymore on the way to work. You know, we're making our own dinners at home. We're making our own lunches at home. Cars are spending more time in the garage. You know, so people are saving more. So, you know, an estimated $1.6 trillion of additional savings in the U.S., for example, savings to GDP up 80% in Canada, savings to GDP up just over 20% in South Africa. So, so people have got more money. There's been a lot of uncertainty created from a global pandemic, and this has basically resulted in people trying to take more control over their finances and savings. And this is the kind of, and this is what we've seen in the sci-fi report. So record level of switching on the Momentum Wealth platform, you know, almost 28,000 switches for that period that you mentioned, the 2021 period, as we call it, you know, 170,000 Rand on average switch value and an increase in 80% in the number of active investors. That's people performing at least one investment switch. So, so, you know, just to sum that kind of sum it up, we can see, you know, more engaged, people are saving more. People want more control over their finances. People are, you know, that control manifests in in switching money around to try and avoid the uncertainty in the markets. And that, of course, resulted in a, a net behavior tax of over 90 million rand again for South African investors. Paul, you mentioned behavior tax. Can you just explain that concept again quickly? How does that work, the, precisely what a behavior tax is? Yeah, sure, Neil. So, I mean, a behavior tax is, you know, if you, if you think of a nice simple example, say if a, if a client is invested in fund A and they decide to make a switch to fund B, we carry on tracking what fund, fund A would have done and then we compare fund A, fund A and fund B at the end of every year. And obviously, if fund B performed worse, then you, you incur a lower investment return, which is basically a behavior tax. So, so in essence, a behavior tax is a drag on your investment returns because of your behavior. Okay. So... Investors were basically, I mean, chasing, as always, past performance. And then also, you mentioned up-risking the investment portfolios. Mm. So why do you think that happened? And how do you avoid people doing that? Mm-hmm. So, so look, you know, I mean, so, so just to go over that period, so we can very clearly see that, 
you know, from September 2020 on until, you know, October 2021. We can see that sort of, you know, volatility measured by the South African Volatility Index, you know, really increases dramatically in September and then starts to subside and then increases again in March 2021. And you can see that people over those periods or clients rather are taking risk off the table. So, so there's a very strong correlation between volatility levels measured by the savvy and you know, people's behavior in terms of de-risking their portfolios or moving to save, safer assets. And then you can basically see, you know, as one would expect, you know, as returns come back into the market from March, you know, people are now scrambling again to take risk on, you know, so to, to move into more equity investments, for example. The problem, though, is that, you know, you know, we investors rather arrive a, bit, a little bit late to the party, you know, so, so by the time they're actually getting into markets again, the actual returns have already happened. So, so you can see that it, it's not by, it can't be by coincidence alone that people are moving money around, you know, very, very closely related to the volatility and returns. And, you know, we can't say that investors' goals are changing, you know, as closely in sync with um, with market ups and downs. It's very, very clear that people are, you know, trying to to miss volatility and to try, try and take advantage of investment returns. And that's the big problem. When when you try and, and sort of mimic that behavior, in other words, it's like almost driving, looking in the rearview mirror. It's a, it creates a very a large behavior tax, especially when markets are volatile. So, so this kind of risk on risk off, you know, investors are trying to, you know, kind of get involved or rather try and predict these patterns. The net result is always a, is a behavior tax. And it's generally speaking, you know, we say chasing past performance because, you know, again, you're, you're, you're sort of driving, looking in the rearview mirror, not, not a very good idea. Yeah, I think you also mentioned in the report that at the end of the day, investors, if your circumstances on a changing or didn't change, don't change your long-term plan and focus mm-hmm. on the long-term strategy and your goals. Absolutely. You know, so, I mean, you know, the, the, generally speaking, and another very interesting sort of trend you can see is that if you look at a sort of, if you log on to one of these trading platforms and you have a look at trading volumes, you know, which is the number of shares that are bought and sold over that same period, you can see that investors with long-term goals are almost playing a short-term trading game. You know, they're, they're moving their money almost in tune with the, with the day trader. Now, the day trader is obviously trying to make money every day. You know, so, so what's happening is investors are playing the wrong game. They're, they're long-term Ooh. investors, you know, kind of investing for a long term, but they're moving money around in sort of almost in time with the day traders. So it's not a great way, obviously, to, um, to have an investment strategy, or especially a long-term investment strategy, because you always end up being one step behind. And we can see that the behavior tax kind of measures exactly how far behind you get by that approach. So, so absolutely, if, you, if your goal I mean, there's a golden rule. If, you, if your goals are not changing, your plan to reaching those goals shouldn't be changing as well. You know, you've really just got to stay, in, you know, stay invested. And, um, you know, we've heard that so many times. You know, I think, I think Old Mutual came up with it a long time ago. You know, it's not timing the market. It's time in the market. You know, it's very, very true. And, I mean, it's very, very important for investors to follow, you know, some, you know, if you look at three basic rules which are related to that, you know, put your money to work, you know, so get it out from under the mattress and put it into markets because obviously, you know, you want to beat inflation, especially over long term, you know, diversify. So don't put all your eggs in, in one basket. And then the third rule is very simple. Just leave it alone. Um, leave it alone and let markets do their work. Yeah, I think that's um, always good advice, but obviously people don't necessarily follow that advice. And I think you quote <laughs> Benjamin Graham in the report, who say, the investor's chief problem and even his worst enemy is likely to be himself. So you've identified a few investor archetypes as well. I think it's previous research, but obviously it comes into play in this 
report as well. So can you maybe just explain to us the archetypes that we've identified and how they behave differently during this period? Yeah, so what we're trying to do is to try and almost institutionalize the behavioral finance proposition. What I mean by that is, you know, we're trying to use machine learning techniques to figure out what the pockets or patterns of investor behavior are over a period of time so that in the back end, we can try and nudge investors or try and get them and advisors, by the way, to make better decisions, you know, so so to make sure that you know, different kinds of investors are receiving the right message at the right time. And what I basically mean by that and what we've uncovered are, are four very, you know, distinct behavioral patterns um, or through market cycles. And I mean, we, we had a look at behavioral patterns using machine learning techniques from 2006 right up until 2021. And you can see four clear behavior patterns. So, so first of all, you get someone called the market timer and the market timer is pretty much going up when markets are going up. So investing more aggressively when markets go up and investing less aggressively when markets go down. You know, then you look, um, you also get someone called the anxious investor. Very, very clearly when markets panic, in other words, any form of market turbulence, the anxious investor runs for, runs for safety. Unfortunately, though, the anxious investor also destroys the most amount of value over time because they get stuck there. So that they move to safe assets, but, you know, markets already start sort of running again and they're still stuck in, in, in safe assets. You know, then you get the assertive investor as well. So, you know, kind of these are the guys who, you know, the, the people out there who like the next big investment trend. So, you know, Bitcoin, private equity, they're always chasing high past performing investments. And then finally, you get the avoider. And the avoider is, it's like the name implies, you know, they invest conservatively and they just kind of stay on the sidelines. So, so behavior tax for avoiders is um, they actually incur an, an additional behavior tax because they get stuck in safe assets for a long time. And of course, if you invest in, uh, or if you're investing for the long term, you should have inflation beating assets in your portfolio, like property and equity, for example. So, so we've, we found these very, um, these very distinct behavioral patterns, and you can see that these different behavior patterns destroy value at different times. So for example, like I've said, the anxious investor, you know, during the global financial crisis destroyed a lot of value. During the COVID pandemic destroyed a lot of value. In fact, by far the most amount of value. So. In the COVID pandemic, for example, anxious investors in, in March 2020 were destroying 6.5% of their portfolio per switch. But then that changes. So as we move into you know, a more choppy and volatile market, the market timer is penalized a lot more. And that's what we found during this period. So, so trying to move up and down with the markets, you know, as we've given in our previous examples, the market timer incurred 5% behavior tax in the 2021 period. So again, that's October to October, October 2020 to October 2021. So you can see again that these different pockets of behavior are incurring different behavior tax levels. And that's kind of where we're going with this because, you know, if you want to, you know, again, to institutionalize this, you have to have backend systems that can try and help those investors, um, you know, be make better decisions. So for example, if you're an anxious investor and markets are very volatile, you know, and you want to make a switch, perhaps you get a you know, pop-up on your system or there's a pop-up to your advisor to say, just hey, just wait another three days before you make this decision because this could save you kind of a behavior tax. And that's really, you know, the idea of using the machine learning and, and getting the segmentation set up on the back-end uh, marketing and communication system. Okay. So, I mean, we say with us investing is personal. So, I mean, that's moving in that direction where you have a personality type, you have an investor archetype. And is it the right word to use nudge and nudging mm. to get people to do certain things or help them and advisors to, mm. I mean, ultimately get people to achieve their financial goals? And that's mm. how we make investing personal at the end of the day. 
No, absolutely. So, so, I mean, nudging as a discipline is comfortably, you know, it's it, what sort of almost coming up 15 years old now since since Taylor and Sunstein, uh, Sunstein published the book Nudge, you know, in, in, in 2008, I think. You know, but the thing is, nudging can't be done on aggregate, you know, because different people need different things at different times. So you can't just have an average kind of splash out a message and hope that the right people are going to do the right things. You know, some people need to do less of something and some people need to do more of something. So the future of nudging is really about making it hyper-personal. So, you know, asking me to do something that's right for me specifically at the right time, for example. And that's and that's really where we're going with this. So we've looked at this, you know, from a data up approach. So we've looked at a ton of data and we said, look, you know, talk. So, so show us the behavioral patterns of investors over a long period of time. And we've now seen that there are four clear behavior patterns. The next step to this, however, is looking at things, you know, looking at this from a personality down angle. So, so to have a look at psychometric traits of these different pockets of people, you know, to figure out again, if there are personality traits here that are predicting this behavior. And that really is the key here. So once we have the personality traits, and, and there was something called the big five you know, personality trait uh, theory, where we can see five very, very key or five distinct personality traits that drive investment behavior. You know, and once we've managed to tie these, um, you know, psychometrically to, to the different archetypes, we can then predict what people are going to do without any behavioral history on the platform. That really is, is, is key. So by filling out a psychometric test or questionnaire, we would then be able to slot you into one of these behavioral channels and that then gives us the uh, the basis to you know communicate the right message at the right time to the right archetype, if that, if that makes sense. And I think that really is is all about you know sort of our approach in in, in making it extremely personal. Uh, definitely, it makes perfect sense. So if you if you look at personalities, I think you've said it as well in the report or in previous articles that personality doesn't change over time. I mean, if your personality stay. You are, you are. Um, but how does the risk and the, the more traditional risk profiling come into play here? And how do you connect the two at the end of the day? Or how you, what's the ultimate goal here? Yeah, so look, that, that's a great question, Neil. I think you know something that the industry has gotten wrong over, you know, sort of for the last probably two decades. In fact, never gotten right. Let's put it that way. Is risk profiling? So, so a lot of the questionnaires that we see, you know, that these these risk tolerance questionnaires, you know, are testing, you know, asking for things like, you know, giving a lot of hypothetical win loss scenarios. So, would you, you know, if you had fifty thousand rand, you know, when would you get upset after you lose ten percent or twenty percent or thirty percent? The problem with those hypothetical win-loss scenarios is that they don't test things that are stable. So your answers to those questions would change over time. You know, so if you've just received a promotion, for example, your kind of the way you perceive risk is going to be completely different to after you've just been fired. You know, and, and there are a whole lot of other things that, that could determine how those answers change. So you're not testing psychometrically, you know, what that person's long-term attitude to risk is, which is actually quite closely tied to their personality. So what we actually need to do is we need to have a psychometric basis for understanding risk. So we understand that person's long-term attitude to risk. And then we understand that in the short term, their risk can, or their perception of risk can change. So, you know, for example, there are going to be groups of people that react differently to COVID, for example. And we've seen that with the anxious investors. So there's going to be a pocket of people that when, when market shock, 
they're going to run to you know sort of safety immediately. That is completely separate from their long-term attitude to risk, which you can measure psychometrically. So you've really got to have both sides of the equation. You've got to you've got to understand what someone's long-term attitude to risk is and measure it properly psychometrically. In other words, capture their kind of personality traits. Um, and then you've got to have an idea of what that person is likely to do in the short term as well. And that's really how you test it. You know, the hypothetical win-loss scenarios give you a better idea in the short term of how that person is likely to react. So the importance of getting that right, though, is that you want to, you want to pin the investment strategy to that person's long-term attitude to risk, not to the short term where they're likely to react to risk, because you've actually got to fix that via your nudging strategies, right? So what you don't obviously want to do is, is pander to the person's short-term emotional comfort because, you know, that you can communicate through or you can communicate the person through that journey to get them a better outcome. You want to pin the strategy to their long-term, you know, their long-term attitude towards risk. And you obviously have a number of other factors that you would consider when you're, when you're making a financial plan for that person. But you've got to understand both sides of that coin. And, and that really is what we're doing. And, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be launching a, an investment personality assessment in the next few months that will absolutely give advisors the ability to diagnose that person's long-term attitude and that's, that's sort of tied to their investment personality as well, which actually really is going to be an important constituent of someone's risk profile or their overall risk profile. Thanks, Paul. That's fascinating as always and looking forward to that investor personality assessment. Thanks for joining me, Paul. Thanks very much, Neil. Uh, see you again soon. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.